morning, church. This morning's scripture reading will be from the book of Mark, chapter 11, verses 12 through 25. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, it is, not, is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because the crowd, all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus said to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Take up and be thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who is in heaven, also in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, Bethany Church. Glad to be back with you after a little time away last week. And thanks to David for uh, holding down the fort and taking us back into the Gospel of Mark in this new uh, year. I know, and even as we've already prayed this morning, um, that some of us come today uh, with heavy hearts upon hearing of the um, passing of Mary Weber, such a loving and dear and faithful, uh, really, churchwoman. She loved the local church. And really a, a pillar of Bethany Church. I don't use that uh, lightly. She was a woman who bore much fruit for Jesus Christ. And as I considered the message this morning, and it's challenging, yet such big uh, church vision type message in January, um, I wondered if the tone would feel a bit off. And then I thought about Mary. And right behind Mary's love for Jesus was her love for the local church. She loved Bethany Church. She knew the local church was God's plan to work in the world, to be his hands, to be his feet, to be his, his mouth, to be his hope for the world, your hope, and being part of that local church. And so I know she would want the church to be fed this morning, challenged this morning, encouraged this morning, maybe even convicted this morning, and Jesus' name held high. So let's do that. Let's do that this morning. Let's let the Word of God and God of, the, of that Word be our hope 
uh, this morning. Last Sunday, as we said, David preached. He took us into, in the Gospel of Mark, into the Passion Week, the final week of Jesus' life on earth uh, before his death and resurrection. So like any great story, like any great story, we're entering into the crises, the climax, the, the, the finish, so to speak, the great finish as we begin a new year. That's where we're entering into the Gospel of Mark. But I think in God's providence, in the way he just plans things, that his ordering of things, this is the perfect passage, the perfect passage for us to start this year off. Why? A new year, as many of you know, is a good time to take stock of life, of the last year of life, to look back to 2018, to look at your life, maybe evaluate self and where you're at, and then look forward as well. We all do that in the new year, a time to look forward to what lies ahead. Even as I know, January is always a hard month for me. It just is. Uh, I just know that about myself, having reached midlife and just realized that it's just a hard time of year for me. I kind of need to be challenged. I need to be encouraged a little bit myself. And so maybe you do this morning too. As this morning we consider Jesus' use of this, it's strange, we're just going to say it. (laughs) It's a strange, visible parable that, that happens to challenge the contemporary at his time corruption of the temple, which gave the appearance of fruit, but was empty. Empty and fruitless. This morning, he's going to challenge us individually and corporately as well. And we, as we consider Jesus' challenge, his question, here it is. Are we producing, are you, real fruit through faith in Jesus, prayer and forgiveness we're going to talk about this morning? This is where God is taking us this morning, a bit of, of self-evaluation, not only personally, but corporately. As a body, as a church, as Bethany Church, that's where we're going. So grab your outline. Hopefully you got it there. We got life group questions back on there on the back for our life groups that start this week. Hopefully you got your text open as we're going to look at uh, three acts really this morning, uh, three interactions that Jesus has in three acts. The first act we see is Jesus is doing this. Take a look. Jesus curses the fruitless tree and the fruitless life. Like I said, we love to provide an outline for you to fill in, and some of you who are visual or like to write as well, and we have different styles of learning. That's really what that's there for. It's just a tool. Jesus begins here. He curses the fruitless tree and the fruitless life. Let's hear it again, verses 12 through 14. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs, and he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. A lot of people, as they've come to this passage, many people have have questioned this passage. Why this sudden outburst uh, from Jesus? Why pronounce a curse on on this poor, innocent fig tree? What did he ever do? A lot of people have questioned and said, this is beneath Jesus. This passage cannot be real even. A lot of people have said that. But what I think we actually see here is Jesus, in a way, actually honoring this tree as one of the greatest uh, miraculous object, object lessons ever for humanity. What tree has ever been thought about more than this one, right? None, none. This is the tree. Maybe the, you might say the cross has been called a tree. 
But this tree, what, what tree was ever more useful to thousands and millions of people after it received what it received from Jesus? And Jesus is wanting the people there. It is a bit shocking. It is a, supposed to be a bit uh, jolting for us. But he's wanting his people there to get a graphic picture, a graphic picture of judgment on lives that profess to be one thing, but on closer inspection appear to be totally different, different and actually empty and actually hypocritical, Jesus goes so far. And when we see in a moment the, the, the clearing of the temple sandwiched between these two uh, mentions of the fig tree, it's clearly for us to see and for Jesus' contemporaries to see to be seen as a curse on the temple, on Israel. And I would say, if we too are too prideful, maybe apathetic, lukewarm in our faith, maybe a curse on you and me and our churches. It's shocking stuff this morning. I told you, it's a challenging passage this morning. But it's where God has us in this course of the Gospel of Mark well, as Jesus walks to, uh, from Bethany to Jerusalem, he sees this tree that we're talking about in the distance. He sees it off ahead of him. And even though, as Mark records, it's not quite fig season, there are leaves already there, which would imply delicious, filling fruit on the tree as he approaches it. Uh, but even, it's, as the, the passage even said, it's out of season even if there were leaves present, there should have been, uh, as I was reading this week about fig trees, which I don't usually do, uh, but uh, it's like I, I, don't just try, I don't know anything about fig trees, it's only because I was reading this week. Uh, at this time, if there were leaves on this tree, there should have been even tiny little nodules of fruit. They, had, they kind of bloomed in two ways, the nodules, then later on you could eat the full fig, but you could also eat the little tiny nodules as well that were there. They weren't as tasty, but they were really filling and people did it all the time. And so Jesus is expecting to come as he sees leaves that there would be uh, fruit there. But he gets there and there's nothing. There's nothing on this tree. Which if there was leaves, there would have been. Nothing. I mean, you've had the experience, sort of, when you go to a restaurant and you, you look at the menu and you pick it up and there are these incredible pictures, aren't there always? <laughs> incredible pictures of food just saying, eat me up. Come on, come towards me, eat me up. And then you order, and the real thing comes out, and you're holding up the menu to the, the waitress. I order the deluxe cheeseburger, and she looks at you and goes, uh-huh. <laughs> you're like, well, it's not quite what it looks like. Well, Jesus comes up to this fig tree, and it's all show and no substance. All show and no substance. And the deeper significance, of course, is that he, it's not that he couldn't get a good meal. It was a spiritual bankruptcy of his people. That was the deeper meaning. It's not that he couldn't get a good meal. It was the spiritual bankruptcy of his own people. Remember the day before uh, and how our passage finished from last week? He'd already seen the menu. He'd already seen it. He'd already seen what was going on in the temple. Here is how our passage ended last week. You'll see it coming up. And he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple, and he looked around at everything, and it was already late. So he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So he's already seen what's going on. He's already seen the menu. 
And now Jesus, the next day, is on his way back to Jerusalem, back to that same temple he went in the day before to see what's going on. The fig tree is, was, all throughout the Old Testament, kind of like the vine or the vineyard. It was always a symbol for God's people. The fig tree was in the Old Testament. They were spoken of as a fig tree, as a vineyard, different types of plants. And Jesus' disciples would have made the connection. They would have made this connection that Israel has become a barren fig tree. Barren. The leaves are just covering her nakedness. She's empty. Beautiful temple with its ceremonies, its, its sacrifices, its, uh, had become a, a front, a mirage, an illusion of real fruit, real holiness, real righteousness, and real heart change was not happening. That's what the fig tree represents. We also will see the, the Gentiles, those who also were supposed to be brought close by God's people towards God, they were being kept out in the, in the outer areas of the, court, of the temple, in the courtyard, kept out at a distance from God. The poor, we're going to see. People who were poor were being exploited with this, these exorbitant markups on animal sacrifices. Uh, just exorbitant. A, 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 a taking, a, a, a thievery, really. It may have looked shiny. It may have looked impressive and grand. It was dead on the inside. Here's lessons for us. You claim to be a follower of Jesus and yet bear no fruit. Jesus cannot stand for that. He loves you too much. He's too committed to you. And so we see here, what does he do? He curses the fig tree. And here's how I'm putting it for us. What we need for 2019, you and I, inspect your life for the real fruit of heart change. If Jesus takes it this seriously with his people at this time, he still does with us. And so our call, our call, our challenge to ourselves for 2019 is inspect your life for the real fruit of heart change now from the inside out. Let me ask you some questions. How, how often, sort of to help us kind of do this, how often do you think about your own spiritual growth? Now think about yourself now. How often do you think about your own spiritual progress or the fruit your life is producing? That that's good works, righteousness, holiness, good things for God. How often do you think about that? Jesus wants real character change for us. I mean, you're, you're going to be, it's, it's a reality. You and I, you're going to be a different person come next, next year, next January. You are going to be a different person. Next January, you won't be the same person you are right now. You'll be either closer to God and bearing more fruit or further from God, bearing less fruit based on real decisions you make. Real decisions you make, you and I make. You will not be the same person. I guess all all that is to say there's no stagnation in the Christian life. There's really no way to be uh, neutral. You're either moving at any given moment with any given decision closer to God or further away from him. That's the Christian life. That's why it's called a walk. You're always going in one direction or the other. So what is going to take place this year for you, for me? 
Remember, fruit comes from the root. An apple tree doesn't produce oranges, does it? Or apricots. Fruit comes from the root, and so it comes from your heart. It comes from what is actually inside of you. So what's coming out of you lately? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. Whatever comes out was already inside of you. Or maybe, better yet, ask the person who's closest to you. What, what, what have you seen coming out of me lately? Do you see me growing? Do you see me changing or moving closer to, to God? Could you actually do that? Could I do that? Could you ask the people that know you best, what did last year look like for me? Did you see me growing closer to God? What do you produce? Is it fear? Maybe is it anger? Is it anxiety, unforgiveness, uh, self-aggrandizement, constant discouragement? It could be a number of things, if we're talking bad fruit, that is. Do the people that examine your fruit most, would they be able to say, yeah, I see, I see Jeff overcoming his anxiety. I see him more and more finding true security in his love for Jesus and his security in the gospel of Jesus. Could they say that about you or me? I see him believing more and more in God's sovereign hand in his life and therefore battling his anxiety, battling his fears, and producing godly trust. I mean, this challenge of Jesus, it's, it's a big challenge, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Because if you see no fruit, if this doesn't stir us this morning as a people, then you and I are in danger too of Jesus' curse. It's a real thing. Uh, there's a poem Charles Studd uh, wrote. You might remember the lines, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's a good time of year to take stock, examine our own lives. Are we producing real fruit? But how about the church? Here's what we say to the church. Inspect our church too. Because Jesus is speaking in a moment and we're going to see to the whole temple. Inspect our church for the fruit of the gospel, not the fruit of busyness is how we're going to apply this. The fruit of the gospel, not, not the fruit of busyness. So many times in the church, or even in our personal lives, we can equate uh, holiness or fruit with busyness. The American church loves that. The busier we are, we just feel the better we are. Church activities and, and, and busyness can happen, though, without real heart change, without real compassionate um, love for one another, uh, investment in one another's lives and in our neighbors. And where, As I said, we're going to see Jesus in a minute walk into a very busy church, temple. He's going to walk in there and inspect so the inspection as we think about Bethany Church is as we look at 2019, as we look at our own church and where we're headed, is not necessarily how many programs we have, but are we growing in our love for Jesus? That's it. Are we growing in our relationship and love and affection for him? That's the measure. Uh, are we talking about the gospel more frequently? Do you find that happening? Those are the questions we should ask. Are you finding that? Are we finding ourselves more and more desiring to share his love with others, evangelize? Those are the questions we should ask. Are we finding ourselves 
graciously willing to confront one another even at times over our sin. That's all fruit of the church and fruit of God. Are we addressing the sin of our own hearts? Those are, those, those are the questions. Not necessarily how busy are we. You know, programs and things serve a means to an end, but the bigger questions are those. Our love for Christ, our love for the gospel, our love for the lost. That's how we measure the fruit of a church. Gospel fruit, not just busyness. We have to, as I said, we have to pay attention to this, don't we? We have to as we look at Jesus' actions here because he, he, he won't stand for his people to profess his name and not grow, not change, not move forward. He curses the tree. Daniel Aiken said in his commentary on this passage, he said, there's a point without a doubt. Fruitlessness now may result in fruitlessness forever. Lose your usefulness for Jesus and he may curse you and move on. It's not he who needs us. It is we who desperately need him. We need him to save us. We need him to make us useful and fruitful. Turn his church into a religious club of hypocrisy and unfruitfulness, and you will receive not his blessing, but his curse. And that's what we're going to see a moment in the temple. What happens? Let it never, never, God forbid it, let it never be said in our personal lives, in our church, in our time, that those people lost their fruit. Those people, they lost their passion for Jesus. Those people, oh, they, I know, yes, we know, they lost their first love for Jesus. May it never be said about us or you personally. May they look at us and see, oh, wow, it looks like the picture on the menu. It looks like it. We see fruit. Oh, that's what it could be like. That's what community is like. That's what the world is supposed to be like. It looks better than the picture. Well, Jesus does go, and he goes on, and he removes the unfruitful activity, which he does in our lives as well. Let's look at our second act. Here it is. Jesus goes to overturn. He overturns not just the tables, but the temple, actually, and its system. Something big is happening here in the life of God's people. He's going to remove hindrances. He overturns tables, but not just tables, but the temple and its systems. Well, after Jesus curses the fig tree, he and his followers walk up to the temple on the week of Passover. The week of Passover. And the temple, as you know, was the place. It was the place where God's people uh, interacted with him most with the sacrificial system, making sacrifices. The priests were there. So Jesus comes now to the temple on the busiest week of the year, really, in Jerusalem. The busiest week of the year when the Jews celebrated Passover. They were celebrating God's redeeming, his saving work as he brought his people out of slavery, as the book of Exodus records. That's what they're celebrating. Well, when they approached the Temple Mount, they would have seen huge marble walls and, and gold pillars and, and, and huge crowds. The population of, of Jerusalem would swell to ten times its normal. The Temple would have looked something like this. It's just a model. Um, just something kind of like this. It was a, a, a big place. 
wasn't maybe just like the tabernacle tent, but a big structure, a temple. And it's important that when Mark writes, he says, Jesus entered the temple. He had just gone in at this point. He just entered the temple. And what does that mean? Well, if you look at the picture there, just entering would mean you'd be in those big, giant, massive courtyards there. You see them. It's bigger than that. He would have just entered that area. And why it's important is because that means he's just, he's entering this area in the temple that's called the court of the Gentiles. That's important. The court of the Gentiles. That was as far as anybody who was not a Jew could go. Or somebody who was ceremoniously a Jew who was unclean could go. That was as far as they could go. And when he entered in, what he saw was a great commotion, bustling commotion. What's a good way for us to imagine this? Uh, Here's a good way for us. Think of the craziness, the busyness, or you've seen footage or a picture of our stock exchange floors. Now add to it animal livestock. That's what we see. That's what's going on when Jesus walks in. Not a pretty picture. Uh, That's what's going on. But this is supposed to be the place where Gentiles could have quiet prayer and find God. There would have been stalls everywhere and people purchasing way overpriced, way marked up animals like pigeons that were mentioned in verse 15. Why pigeons? The pigeons were the sacrificial animal of the poor, of the poor. And on some accounts, they were estimated to be marked up 16 times normal price. So a pigeon that might cost a quarter would be four bucks. It was just, uh, it was crazy. Jesus goes in to inspect what's going on, which means for us, it's our, some of our application, Jesus will inspect our lives and our church too. He goes in to inspect for fruit. He goes in to pull the leaves back, so to speak, as he did with the fig tree. He will inspect our lives and our church to see if we are, if you are, if I am producing the fruit of righteousness. To see that if we are a place that welcomes, as the temple was supposed to be, all nations, all people, not just people maybe that look like us or think like us or vote like us or spend like us, all types of people were to find a place where they could find God and meet God. To see, he went in to see if they were a place where people would meet the living God. And here was the problem. Jesus goes to the temple which is to be a place where all nations now meet the living God and find mercy and grace and forgiveness. And what he sees, at least at this moment in their history, or on that day, a place of bribery, extortion, greed, deception. And look at verse 17, what he says. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. There it is. But you've made it a den of robbers. And Jesus becomes kind of like a bouncer. (laughs) If you read the passage, kind of like a bouncer. He removes the hindrances. And so here's our application. He will remove our hindrances to the mission as well in our own life and the greater commission he has for all of us. 
he literally begins to enact the cursing of the fig tree by overturning their tables, by pulling things up, by, by ceasing the, the commerce, restoring, even if temporarily, the place, the temple to its rightful purpose. He removes their hindrances to true worship. That's what he's doing. He removes what's getting in the way of meeting God. He removes the things that were distracting. He removes the things that were keeping the nations in the outer court. You hear this, and a lot of you will hear this straight. Wait, wait. This doesn't sound like Jesus. He's described as the most meek and mild person who ever lived. But meekness doesn't mean weakness. Meekness is actually strength under control. That's what meekness is. Our men, you need to hear that. When Jesus is called meek and you're called to be meek, it doesn't mean you're called to be weak, but it means you're called to have a strength that's under self-control, that's under control. And here we see he uses his strength. You might call it a righteous anger to protect his father's honor, to protect God's honor. That's what he's doing. To call out their sinful behavior. To show them that the, as well that the sacrificial system was going away. He overturns the money changers' tables because he's about to set up a new table. The table that would be his body, his blood. Jesus was the final sacrifice, and he wanted them to see that. So yes, he was addressing what was going on, but he was also showing the sacrificial system's coming to an end. I'm setting up a new table. I'm setting up a new way to meet the living God, the only way. And now even those dirty Gentiles can get in. Now they'll even have direct access to God. That's good news because that's probably most of us. Yeah, now they'll even have access to God through Jesus. It's the same reason that when Jesus was sacrificed, what happened to that curtain that, that marked off the center of the temple? It tore in two. It's kind of like Jesus is getting them ready for that when, that, when that curtain would finally tear upon his death. I'm sure the disciples were standing there like this. Like, what is, what is going on? We're coming in to take over. We're coming in to reign. Here's the king, the Messiah. He's going to kick the Gentiles out of the temple is what they thought. Not like clear out their place. They must have just been on the walk back, absolutely overwhelmed. Think about that return trip now. They just had been at the temple. They're getting ready to walk back to Bethany with him. They're probably just like, I mean, who can please this guy? <laughs> who can please this Jesus? Who can measure up? Will I face this curse? And consider this too, the fact that now your body's called the temple. Your body's called the temple as God resides there in spirit for those who believe. How you use your body matters if this is the way Jesus acted in the temple at that time and if we're called the temple now. When the temple's misused, how do we see Jesus respond and so they must have. They had to have just been on edge. 
as they're on this walk, this walk back. As Peter points out the fig tree on the walk, walk home, he's like, look, Rabbi, there it is. It's dead. I mean, for us, a better way to be like first century roadkill. That's a good way for us to think about it. First century roadkill. There's the fig tree. It's dead. And Jesus responds so unexpectedly. It almost was maybe as Tony Red say, you're like, huh? Here's how he responds. It's our third act. Jesus encourages the fruit that comes through faithful, forgiving prayer. Faithful, forgiving prayer. He's just been raging. That's, I think that's a fair term. Raging in the temple. And here's how he responds. Look at verse 20 with me. We'll read. As they passed uh, in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it'll be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you received it and it'll be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who also is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. The whole story now uh, of the cursing of the tree the outburst in the temple, and then Peter, when they're walking again, shocked at the tree, and Jesus responds, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Pray a lot, and be a forgiving person because Jesus has forgiven you. It's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, you would think he would have grabbed them by the collar, too. You know, like, pull it together. Oh, I just did this in the temple. Get it together. That's what you got to do. See the tree? Get your act together. I mean, you would think Jesus might respond that way. But he says, have faith in God. Pray a lot. Be forgiving because you know the gospel. He offers them grace. And he points them to the things the temple should have provided. Faith, prayer, and forgiveness. It doesn't make the challenge to inspect our lives or our church and, and Jesus' warning. Uh, it doesn't make them lessened by this. They still remain. But you know what it does? It shows us the solution's not found in us. It's found in God. It's found in God himself, which is the good news. It's the good news. That's where he's taking them. It's the gospel. Have faith in God, Jesus says. If you're uh, wondering, is it me? Am I fruitful? Do I, do, I, do I please him? Am I going to be the fig tree? He says, have faith. Believe. Trust. He uses men and women who realize they are weak and feeble and lean on him in faith. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. If you feel like, well, hey, then I'll just get my act together, Jesus. I'm not going to, you know, hey, I can do it. No, he uses people that say, yeah, I need you, God. I do want to produce fruit. Oh, make it happen in me, God. I have faith that you can. Have mountain-moving faith, Jesus even says here. It's a hyperbole. It's to get us to think in ways that are big. Have mountain-moving faith and pray for fruit. Pray for fruit. Pray that God will move those mountainous hindrances that are getting in the way of you producing fruit, of you growing. I don't think it's quite a passage that is pointed to say, hey, 
it's just a wish list. God's a magic genie. You pray it, he guarantees it. I don't think it's quite there. We know there are other verses that say you need to pray in his will, and when you do, he answers. Uh, And I think in the context here, he's clearly saying, yeah, you pray to have God remove things in your life that are keeping you from producing fruit, he will answer it. He will answer that with a yes. He will remove those hindrances. But there's definitely a deep challenge to pray. Challenge to inspect our lives to pray, pray, pray. So here's what we're going to say. Let us pray in faith for the fruit of mission that God desires for you this year in 2019 and for Bethany Church. I mean, that's he's saying here, pray, pray, pray. Do you want to produce spiritual fruit? Do you want to grow? I hope you do in ways that you never have in 2019. Do you want to see that? Do we, Bethany Church, do we want to continue to grow as I think we have in 2018? In 2019, with God honoring, God pleasing, life transforming truth and fruit? The answer is profoundly simple. Invest in the ordinary means of grace that God has given you. Invest in, what do you think? What are the ordinary means? Invest in the ordinary means of grace that God has given you. We're going to talk about them. Here's how we're going to finish. A fruitful vision for Bethany Church 2019. The passage gives them to us. And you're like, you might hear them and they sound so simple. But this is how God works. This is how God transforms the ordinary means of grace. The first one, prayer. There's not a passage that's more, I think, focused on saying, do you want to be a person who grows? Do you want to transform? Then pray, pray, pray. Here's what Andrew Murray said about this passage. He was a South African pastor. He said, Christ actually meant prayer to be the great power by which his church should do its work. And the neglect of prayer is the great reason the church has no greater power. The power of the church to truly bless rests on intercession. That's prayer. Asking and receiving heavenly gifts to carry to men and women. Bethany Church, a theme for us 2019, which we have. We are praying church But even more, prayer. This is what Jesus is saying. Pray, pray, pray. We are prone to pray. A lot of times it's for the requests in our life, which is appropriate. But let's add to that this year. Lord, reveal my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Pray for fruit. Pray that he'd get those hindrances out of the way. You'd see him clearer. You'd have more faith. Let's pray that way too. Matt, we're going to ask you to do that in your life groups this week. Pray. It's the first one, a vision for us for 2019, prayer. Join me in praying for our church and our community. Second one is this, his word, his word. It's it's steeping yourself in his word, who God is, who he is. I saw a great quote this week, uh, 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 John Piper quote, he said this this week, Satan devotes 168 hours a week trying to deceive you. Do you think you can maintain a renewed mind with a 10-minute glance at God's book once a day? Think about that. The enemy is real. I believe there's a real spiritual battle 
and that he does spend him and his army hours, 168, I think that's a week. I think I didn't actually divide it by set or whatever, the amount of hours in a week. I think that's what it is. <laughs> that's a guess. But all that to say, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of time. Think about it. Where you invest, where you sow, that's where fruit comes from. We talked about a few weeks back, we talked about, remember the, the lyrics, that song I was listening to, what you fill your mind with is what shapes you. And if we do think that a 10-minute here and there, or maybe it's not even that for us, that we can, that can sustain us, that's not the case. Be in his word more in 2019, more than just the Sunday service now. We have men's small groups. We have women's Bible study. We have BSF that meets here. We have life groups. We have Sunday adult seminars. If you're not in one of these small groups and Sunday is your only diet, get in one of those. I can't encourage that enough for you. It's not because we want to be busy. It's not because we want to have programs. It's not because we want to feel good about ourselves and say, oh, great, full class. No, you need it. I need it. I need it. His word. You will produce more fruit you will produce more fruit. There's an equation there. You spend more time in prayer. You spend more time in God's word. God will, he will, he will make good on his promise. You will transform in beautiful ways. So prayer, the word, the gospel. What makes you into a servant? Jesus said, pray as a forgiving person. Forgive, he says. What makes you into a forgiving person? Jesus mentions in verse 25, it's that you are so steeped in the gospel. What Jesus has done for you, the sacrifice of Jesus, the forgiveness that comes with that, that you become a gospel fruit person on mission for him. On mission for him. The gospel. Gospel, evangelism, missions, they're all wrapped up there. When we, and that was one of the things we even said, a question, are we producing fruit, is ask, are we talking about the gospel more? And I would say yes. I would say we are as a church. We're, we're seeing, we're understanding that it's not just the, the doorway into Christianity. The gospel is also what changes you and transforms you and sanctifies you too. It's how you grow an affection for your Savior. The gospel. So there's our vision for this year. More prayer, more word, more gospel. And God will, he will produce more fruit in you. He'll continue to transform Bethany Church in ways maybe we never imagined. Mountains, he says. Mountains will move. Maybe we pray bold and just say, Lord, give us a flood of new believers. Would we be so bold to ask that? Give us people that want to hear the gospel in our life and then give us the courage to say, do you know something? I can share what gives, you hope, gives me hope. It's Jesus Christ. Maybe you grow in that this year in a ways to be an evangelist that you never thought you could. Move mountains, he says. Mary Weber lived a quiet, unassuming, fruit-filled life in our church. I, I took this picture yesterday as I was here. Friday I was working in my office and I saw Mary drive by my window on her way, I think, to Safeway. And I thought, oh, she must have just put out the worship folders 
like she did every week. You're holding one today. It was probably on that table that she put out on Friday. Or made our coffee Sunday after Sunday. The first one here. She washed every towel when our showers, when our showers were open over the years. And countless other loving, just behind the scenes fruit stuff. And it wasn't just internal. She was out in the community as well. Meals on wheel and other stuff. Why? Why? Prayer, word, gospel, the table, Jesus. That's why. Prayer, word, gospel, the table, Jesus. That's why. This table. He overturned those tables for us, for them at that time, to shock them to say, a new table's coming. A new way of access to the God is available for you. It's one of, today, as we look at it, it's one of the ordinary means of grace for us, this table. We do it every month. It's like this thing we do. It seems so simple, but I believe it's a means of grace. When you take it in faith, it, 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 it enlivens us. We do it together, too. You look down the aisle, and you see others doing it, too. It's not just for you and the Lord. We do it. That's why we do it together. That's why we stand together. It's to remind us that I'm not here alone. We're taking it together. It's a means of God's grace to us. And Mary knew that, too. Prayer, word, forgiveness, faith, the table, Jesus. That's our 2019 I'm thrilled to think about where God is going to take us. But today we pause again for a moment at this table again. If it's new to you, if you've never taken it before, if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, I encourage you, when these elements come by, please let them pass. doesn't make sense to join the intimacy of this table if you haven't fully given your life to Christ and accepted him as Lord. No one's going to be judging you. I'm not judging you today. Nobody's going to look down the aisle to see who's taking it. But the Word of God does say, if you're not part of this family, don't feast at the family table. But you can today by trusting Jesus, even for the first time. But I want all of us today to think again and take a couple moments as the worship team comes up to just do some of that self-examination. Even let's pray right now together in our hearts, Lord, reveal in me. Show me those hindrances. Lead me forward a new fruit for 2019. Take a couple moments in quiet contemplation.